0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, we've had some time now to see how the Affordable Care Act is working or not working. And uh, today on the program, we'll ask you what your experience has been, what you think about the ACA going forward. We'd love to get your personal experience, especially as we head into enrollment period here, the second go-around with enrollment. The Utah Health Policy Project's annual policy conference is coming up on December 2nd. It's titled, Is It Working?, taking the pulse on health reform in utah the conference will tackle several questions which states are succeeding what's different about 2015 marketplaces what should utah do to cover the medicaid expansion coverage gap we'll address all those issues today our guests include representative jim dunnigan republican from taylorsville he's the house chair of utah legislature's health reform task force Representative dunnigan welcome to the program Good morning. Uh, We appreciate you taking some time with us. We're also joined by Catherine Howitt, Senior Policy Analyst with Community Catalyst. Welcome.
1: Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us. And uh, Utah Health Policy Project's Education and Communications Director is with us, Jason Stevenson. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi. Good morning, Tom. Good to be here.
0: Let me just uh, go around the panel uh, and uh, just ask a general question. Um, how do you think the Affordable Care Act is working, especially with regard to uh, Utah? I'll start with Representative uh, Dunnigan. As you work with the uh, health reform task force, I know Utah is kind of a parallel track, even preceding ACA has been working on this issue. Uh, how do you think it's going? It,
3: there are many parts to the Affordable Care Act. If you're talking about the individual market, I, I think the individual market has been helped by the subsidies available in the federal marketplace it, it uh, has caused rates to go up in general and uh, people have a challenge holding on to the policies that they had pre ACA even if they liked it so it's it's had a both a good and a negative impact as far as small business i would say it's been mostly negative and and even large businesses is a tremendous amount of regulatory burden that's been placed on them, as as well as pressure on upward rates. So it's 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 done some good things and also had some negative impacts.
0: We'll pick up those uh, some of those threads as we go along. Uh, Catherine Howitt, just that general question: Affordable Care Act. Uh, how do you think it's going at this point?
1: Sure. Hi. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's, I, from our perspective, it's, it's going quite well. Um, we know that the number of Americans without coverage has dropped by about 25% in 2014 since um, the main provisions started to get implemented. And, uh, you know, I work with a range of states across the country from the Pacific Northwest to the Deep South to states in the West. And from what I can see, the states that have really embraced the Affordable Care Act and certainly those that have accepted the federal funding to provide coverage to low-income adults are are the ones that are making the
4: best progress? So,
0: you, when you say embrace, you are talking about the uh, accepting federal funds for, for Medicaid gap and that sort of thing.
1: Yep, that's right. Okay.
0: Yeah. And how how are those states, in in your view, uh, I guess, progressing faster?
1: Sure. So we can see. Um, that all of the states uh, with that are reporting the largest declines in their uninsurance rates since uh, 2013 are the ones that have accepted those federal funds to provide coverage to low-income adults in their states Um, and it's it it goes beyond sort of the impact on coverage so not only are those states providing health security to their working poor um, but their economies are also benefiting Um, so states that are accepting these federal dollars are seeing an influx of literally billions of Dollars that are rippling through their state economies and creating jobs, and are also freeing up um, state resources that would otherwise be spent on providing coverage to uh, or providing care for the uninsured. So those states are seeing benefits both to their low-income working families, as well as to their economies and to their state budgets.
0: Uh, I should back up and ask you what Community Catalyst is. I hadn't been familiar with your organization.
1: Sure. Uh, Community Catalyst is a national nonprofit consumer advocacy organization. So we work with um, groups in states across the country who are looking to um, improve uh, access to health care.
0: I should mention that uh, Representative Dunnigan and Ms. Howitt will be on a, uh, on a panel discussion. It's called Covering the Gap the Utah Way, and that's part of the Utah Health Policy Project's uh, annual conference, which is coming up, as I mentioned, on uh, December 2nd, and that'll be in West Valley City. Jason Stevenson, uh, give me more details on this conference.
2: You know, the conference is something we do every fall, um, and it usually coincides with this open enrollment period that we're in now when people can start signing up for insurance. But it's also a time to look ahead to the next year, to 2015. And, you know, the issues that we see on the table are definitely to be closing the coverage gap. That is the, the Medicaid expansion issue, the governor's health, the Utah plan. The panel that you're mentioning is going to be the one that's going to really dig into that issue, and actually, just two days before the legislative task force that uh, Representative Dunnigan chairs is going to address the issue as well. So, we're uh, we're providing um, just a little bit of a launching pad for this issue as we head into the 2015 year and the general session coming up in January.
0: Representative Dunn, we're gonna, as we go along, I want to address uh, issues in general a little more depth. I know you have concerns as you express them about Affordable Care Act in, in general. I want to uh, dive now into the, that uh, Medicaid expansion gap. Um, and, and this is addressing, I believe, uh, people who are not poor enough to be on Medicaid and would therefore be covered, but are... Uh, are too poor to, to uh, get into, uh, you know, the insurance pools, the insurance exchanges. And the, my understanding is some 57,000 people fall into that gap. Is that correct in Utah?
3: Uh, that's I think the number's close. I mean, the number floats around. But the, the, the group that we're talking about are adults. We're not talking about children. We're not talking about seniors. We're not talking about disabled. We're talking about non-disabled adults that make somewhere between zero and 100% of federal poverty, which for a single person is around $12,000 a year. So it's people that a single person makes less than $12,000 a year, which is maybe a little bit less than minimum wage. So that's the population we're talking about.
0: So uh, one provision in in, uh, Affordable Care Act would be uh, you could accept federal money, just, just straight federal money. The the governor has uh, decided. He, in fact, I think he has reached an agreement with, with uh, Obama administration officials uh, to uh, accept a, a, a block of money, and then that could be used uh, by people to to go themselves onto the exchanges. Uh, what do you think is likely to happen at the legislature? I've heard uh, I've heard rumors of a uh, maybe a third or fourth it's separate plans from the governors.
3: I think the governor has done a a terrific job in negotiating with the federal government and trying to get us as much flexibility as possible. And many of the basic uh, tenets or framework of of the Healthy Utah I I like. I I like that it's uh, driven through the private sector and and empowered people to go out and have some choice and have some responsibility. I I like all that. So the, the main question comes down do we expand to 138% of poverty, which is what the federal government is requiring, even though the coverage gap ends at 100%. So the feds are requiring us to go beyond the problem to satisfy their demands that we participate in the cost above 100%. And that doesn't sit well with some policymakers. If we were just doing it ourselves, we would address the coverage gap and, uh, but the federal government's not allowing us to do that. They want us to go beyond that. So that makes it more challenging, and it makes it more costly for
0: us. So uh, maybe we could expand on that. Uh, what What is the difference there between your view and, and, and what the federal is requiring? Is it the between 100% and 138%? Is that...
3: y- yes, that's, that's correct. So the coverage gap is between 0% and 100% of poverty. Those are the folks that don't earn enough to qualify for the subsidies on the individual exchange or marketplace, and yet they are adults either without children or with children that are in about 50% of poverty and are currently not eligible for Medicaid. But that's the coverage gap. And we think the number, if if we covered that area, that the uptake in the first couple of years would probably be about 45,000 Utahns. Over time, it would probably grow to the mid-50s. But that's the coverage gap. But we've asked the federal government, let us come up with a solution to cover the coverage gap, because that takes care of them. And the federal government has said, no, we want you to expand Medicaid all the way to 138%. And we're saying, but above 100%, between 100 and 138, those people can go on the exchanges, get nice subsidies to help purchase insurance that Jason's folks and others are helping acquire. We don't need to expand that. But the federal government insists that we have to expand beyond the coverage gap in order to get the more favorable cost-sharing or split with them, they'll pay eventually 90% above that, whereas if we only go to 100%, they'll only pay 70% of the cost.
0: So there's disagreement on, on how much to, you know, how far to extend coverage. I think I also have been reading disagreements on, uh, or some distaste in just receiving federal money. Uh, you, you'd like... Uh, you and other Republicans would like uh, people to be able to do that themselves. In other words, I guess the governor is going in that direction.
3: Well, there is concern among some legislators, policymakers, about accepting the federal funds, uh, period. The the concern on that is if, if you start a program, expand a program, can you expect the federal government to live up to their end? And, you know, the argument, well, yes, you can, because they've never retrenched or withdrawn on Medicaid funding yet, but then you look at a government that's $17 trillion in debt and wonder how long that's sustainable. So there's a mix in legislators, those that don't want to take any more or commit us to based on any more federal funding, but frankly there are some legislators that do want to get, as the governor said, get our tax dollars back that we've already sent to Washington.
0: Let me turn to Catherine Howitt. Uh, I wonder, uh, let me get your overall view on the, this Medicaid expansion covering that gap. And maybe you could address some of the concerns that uh, some Utah legislators have as expressed by Representative uh, Dunnigan. Uh, first of all, just in, in general, you're, you're comfortable with and you've seen the success in, uh, in covering that gap and up to 138% as the, as the federal government is is mandating?
1: Yeah, that's right. So in about um, 27 states, uh, they have accepted these federal funds that are already uh, set aside to offer affordable insurance options to these low-income adults, and those states are seeing huge benefits from that decision. So they have far fewer uninsured um, people in their states, um, and they're able to provide their hard-working families with that security uh, of quality health care coverage um, and enabling them to see a doctor to get their health care issues taken care of and get that preventive care so they don't wind up in the ER. Their state's uh, budgets are also benefiting from uh, these federal dollars coming into the state to pay for coverage, and that alleviates the state of some of its own expenses to pay for care for the uninsured. And it's also benefiting their hospitals, who are uh, burdened now with fewer uncompensated care costs. So those states are really finding that it's a win-win situation. Hmm. You know, I'm, uh, hearing, uh, uh, I think some of the concerns that were talked about was whether there was flexibility um, to do just a partial plan, uh, sort of expand to only um, some of those, those low-income adults and not all of them. You know, I think states have actually found there to be a lot of flexibility. So some states are taking the federal dollars and using them to build on their existing Medicaid programs to cover low-income adults, and others are taking the federal dollars and using those states to craft their own plan to sort of suit their own uh, state's Unique needs. Um, and so you, the, the, the plan that's getting the most attention, the sort of unique plan that's getting the most attention, is called the private option. And that's where states are using those federal Medicaid dollars to buy commercial plans in the private market for those low-income adults. Um, and that's what I understand um, the Governor uh, Governor Herbert is, is currently considering. Um, in terms of the, uh, the reliability of the federal dollars, so the, the good news is that Utah can choose to opt out of this program at any time, accepting the federal funding is voluntary. So there's, there's no real risk to the state. And there's certainly a lot to gain as those other states have experienced. Um, you know, history, If history is any guide, there's no evidence to, to support any concern that the federal government will, will renege on its commitment. Um, in fact, the uh, past two times that the federal government has changed its matching rate, it's actually increased its matching rate to states, uh, provided more Medicaid funding to states in order to help them out during economic downturns.
0: Let me turn to uh, Jason Stevenson. We're going to take a break shortly, um, but, but specifically on this uh, this Medicaid gap. I know part of the, and I don't know whether you'll have people uh, who fall into that gap on your uh, what do you call it the your your kitchen table panel, uh,
3: kitchen cabinet, your,
0: yeah. your kitchen cabinet. I think that, these be... are people sharing their experiences, right?
2: That's true. And actually, I was just talking to some of the members of this kitchen cabinet. These are people who have purchased ACA insurance within the past year here in Utah a lot of self-employed people working from home, people who just don't get insurance through their job but still really need that health insurance. And they all have insurance, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, but they know many people who fall into this coverage gap. And I think that's something that this conference is also going to address, is that this coverage gap is real. I think there's still some belief at the legislature that this gap doesn't exist or that it's just prisoners or, you know, able bodied adults who should be working and... And And that's not the case at all. Uh, when we have people come into our office looking for insurance, we can help many of them, but many of them also fall into this coverage gap. And they're moms with kids at home. they're working one or two jobs, they're students, they're people really trying to better themselves and looking for insurance to protect themselves against financial catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the governor's Health of Utah plan would close the gap. It would close it for everyone. It's not just picking and choosing which people to provide insurance for. It doesn't create more gaps. Uh, it closes all the gaps. And that's what we really want to do. Because anytime you try to tinker with the system a little bit too much, you end up creating some in- reverse incentives. You end up creating some mini gaps here and there. And that's why the Governor's Health Utah plan just, you know, what we'll be discussing at the conference and will be discussed during the legislative session. You know, it's a complete solution. It, it does the job. Uh, and that's why we support it.
0: Representative but before we go to break, I want to uh, sort of close the loop a, a bit on, on this Medicaid gap discussion. Uh, so uh, I wonder, first of all, is, is there support? I'll, I'll ask this again. Uh, support? Do you think the governor's uh, plan is going to pass this legislative uh, session or, or what are the odds, do you think?
3: I think it's too early to know. I, there, are, As I talk to my fellow legislators, there are a number that support Healthy Utah or, or something similar to it, and there are others that are not, and there are others that are still in a learning mode. I think it's important to remember the governor and his staff have been working on this for several months. Some of the legislators have been engaged, but many have been involved in, in other issues, you know, corrections, transportation, water, air quality, many of the other issues that we face in the legislature. So now they're starting to zero in and, and focus on Healthy Utah, and, and uh, you know now that the governor's concluded or mostly concluded his negotiations with the federal government, now it's time for us to focus on that. And so next week at a Health Reform Task Force, the governor's office will be presenting. Help to Utah, and we'll have some additional legislative options that will be presented as well.
0: What do you think about Mr. Stevenson's points? Uh, if we don't cover all of the gap, then there'll be some reverse incentives, and there'll be uh, many gaps.
3: Well, I, I think the ACA has created perverse incentives all all throughout, and but the federal government makes it more difficult. As I said, that they, you know, North Dakota, I believe it was asked to just cover the coverage gap people don't, don't make us go beyond 100 let us just solve the problem federal government said no and so they're compelling us to go to 138 percent, which then requires us to pay eventually 10 percent of the cost above 100 percent of poverty to 138 whereas right now those people get subsidized coverage through the exchange and our state doesn't have to pay any of that the federal government is paying all of the subsidy Two months ago, I was back in Washington with the governor. We met with Secretary Burwell, the, se- the federal secretary of Health and Human Services, and governor threw out again, our, our preference is to just let us address the coverage gap. Do not make us go beyond that. And she said, we know, we've had that discussion. That's off the table. You know, that's, that's not an option. So the federal government, through their inflexibility, for all they're saying of being flexible, they are, they are really mostly inflexible and uh that's so inflexible that's that's a challenge for us the governor has gotten some flexibility from them but we're still definitely working within their parameters
0: we're gonna take a break when we come back more uh, we'll be talking about the affordable care act uh, specifically as it applies to utah and i'd love to get your personal experience we'll ask our guests uh, to uh, to to maybe give uh, put a face on this Uh, tell me about some people who have been directly impacted, for good or ill, with the implementation of Affordable Care Act. Uh, And uh, we'd love to get your experience. Here's how you can uh, join us. It's 1-800-826-1495. That is the uh, toll-free number, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio. More following this break.
4: Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto casper This week, Adam Rappaport of Bon Appetit gives us guidance for the Thanksgiving feast. Stanley Tucci explains why cooking is so important. And we look at America's dirty, not-so-little secret. That's The Splendid Table, the show about life's appetites from APM. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
2: Utah State University's Leonard Rosenband recently received the Nancy Lyman-Relker Mentorship Award from the American Historical Association. The prestigious award is given every three years to exceptional educators. Rosenband has taught at Utah State University for more than 30 years, but will make 2015 his last. Utah Public Radio thanks Rosenband for his contributions and congratulates him on this award.
0: thanks for listening to access utah i'm Tom williams and we're talking uh affordable care act we're talking uh, health reform is it working in utah in fact uh, that is the title of this year's utah health policy project policy conference it's happening in west valley city on december 2nd um the uh, conference is titled is it working taking the pulse on health reform in utah and uh A couple of participants here in the program will be participating in that conference. We have with us Representative Jim Dunnigan. He's a Republican from Taylorsville. He is House Chair of the Utah Legislature's Health Reform Task Force. Uh, Catherine Howitt joins us. She's Senior Policy Analyst with Community Catalyst, and Utah Health Policy Project's Education and Communications Director Jason Stevenson is uh, with us as well. Uh, So the number to call us is 1 800 826 1495. And you can join us by email to upraccess at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Let me turn to uh, Catherine Howitt uh, next. Uh, maybe you could put a, uh, a face on this. I know you have some stories on, on the website, uh, Community Catalyst. And uh, we... Uh, and. Uh, the problems uh, tried to be addressed by the Affordable Care Act, of course, include reducing costs, expanding coverage, um, and uh, and uh, closing that uh, Medicaid gap. Um, I wonder if you could select somebody. Tell tell us a, a story.
1: Um. Sure. Well, I think what I can do is sort of characterize for you um, the, the type of people who, who fall into the coverage gap. Uh, so research shows that um, the vast majority of people who fall into the coverage gap are working um, sometimes two or three do- uh, jobs. Uh, they tend to be working what we, what we know from studies in the service industry and agriculture and very often at small businesses. So they very often aren't offered coverage in their jobs. We also know that nationally, there are over 400,000 uninsured veterans and over 100,000 of their spouses who fall into the coverage gap. Um, so, you know, in, in, in many states, we're really talking about the backbone of the low-income workforce here. Um, there are often people who um, are working part-time so they can finish their education or their young families who are just starting out. Um, that's sort of the, uh, I would say, the, the, the general uh, demographics of, of who falls into this coverage gap.
0: Jason Stevenson, I wanted to ask you the same question. I, I know you talk to a lot of people. You have some stories on the website. What, uh, uh, maybe you, could, uh, you know take one, tell a, tell a story of, of how ACA is working or not working.
3: Sure. Well, we
2: do encounter a lot of folks who fall into the coverage gap here. They come into our office because we help people sign up for insurance. We want to help them, but if they earn too little, Uh, then we can't, and and sometimes it's a matter of just $100 or $200 keeping them from getting insurance. Uh, And that's one of those perverse incentives created by the coverage gap. But, you know, we have folks who, uh, a young woman uh, who is a a mother, she's got two kids, she lives in Utah County, and, uh, you know, she has some health issues, she's able to get some part-time employment. Um, uh, She's unable to get the insurance through the Affordable Care Act because she just earns too little um for that. But she earns too much for Medicaid in Utah. There's actually a weird gap for parents where if they earn more than 50% of poverty, um... they can't get Medicaid. But if they earn under 100% of poverty, they can't get ACA insurance. So they're stuck in this sort of netherworld, uh, between insurance opportunities. Uh, and that's where she is. And she's trying to get another job. She's trying to boost her income for the next year. It's fun telling her if she gets a new job, she gets more income, she can come back in, we can try to sign her up for ACA insurance. But right now, this mother, is caught in the gap, um, and there's a lot of people like her out there. There's a the stereotype that these are just people sitting on their couch, watching TV, not doing anything, um, and that's that's not the case in Utah at all. And we know that Utahns like to work. That's our state motto is industry, uh, and what we have is a lot of people who are working and going to school, um, but still caught in the coverage gap. Um, and and those are the people that we encounter, and those are the people that that closing the gap would help because. They'll get Medicaid, they'll get the Governor's Health of Utah plan, they'll get a better job, they'll get insurance, and they'll transition off. It's going to be a transitional program for them. It's not a lifetime program for them. But it protects them during this time when they really do need insurance so that they can pull themselves up.
0: Representative Dunnigan, I wonder who you're encountering, types of people you're encountering. What, what kind of stories are you hearing, either from your constituents or from for your work on the Health Reform Task Force?
3: There, there are people that that I have met that are in the coverage gap that are good, uh, hardworking people that just want to improve their lot in life. And and that certainly is the potential of trying to help them through the coverage gap, is trying to help them uh, take care of their health needs, health care needs, so that they can either become more productive or remain productive. There, there, there are also those who, for whatever reason, are, are cho- chosen not to work or not work very much, or students that fall in that area, so there, there's there's kind of a mix. The, the majority are able to work, but there certainly is a subset of folks that have serious health conditions or mental health or substance abuse conditions that uh, do not make them marketable right now.
0: Hmm. I wonder uh, if I could have you talk, Representative Dunnigan, about uh, I've heard discussion of covering the medically frail. First of all, that would define that term for me.
3: Well, the medically frail are adults who are not seniors, who are not disabled, who perhaps have some serious condition, could be substance abuse, mental health issues, or a somewhat serious physical health condition. Those those would be the, the medically frail. Those those are actually the probably the neediest of the needy as far as health care needs, and Coverage could be provided to them to help them address their needs. And so that's the medically frail is a subset or some percentage of that coverage gap population, which I would call the, the, the neediest of those who need health care. Hmm. I
0: have an email from Dave and Logan. It's addressed specifically to, to Mr. Stevenson. So I'll address this to you, uh, Jason Stevenson. Uh, by the way, is with the Utah Health Policy um, Project. Uh, he says, my guess is Mr. Stevenson has an excellent health care plan, which is probably paid for by taxpayers of Utah. Is that true? If it is, it would mean that he's enjoying the benefits of a I socialized system.
2: Um, you know, if you're a state employee, uh, taxpayers subsidize 75% of the premiums for a state health plan. You know, what the subsidies do through the Affordable Care Act is try to mimic that for people who have to go out and buy insurance on their own. Because those subsidies that employers, like the state of Utah or many companies, provide drive up the cost of health insurance and health care because everyone kind of expects that to be there. Um, but if you buy it on your own and I used to be a, a writer, a freelance writer, wrote books about backpacking and hiking, and I had to go out and buy my insurance for myself. And so no one was helping me pay those premiums. Well, luckily I was a twenty three year old guy and was able to do it on my own with no health conditions. But if I were to go out and do it now, uh fifteen years later, probably be a little bit different if I wasn't getting any help or my health conditions still mattered. So no the no one is paying for no uh, government taxpayer dollars are going for my health care. that's have uh, private health care. Um, but I understand the need for people who are buying insurance for themselves or their family because they're self-employed. They're working from home. And there's a lot of people in Utah who do that, who haven't been able to afford insurance or have been shut out because of their pre-existing health conditions. The ACA creates new doors for them to go through to get insured for themselves and their
0: family. Mr. Asper uh, talks about people who uh, whose health care is paid for by government, you know, be it state government, and he says that he calls that uh, a socialized system, and, and he asks, would you support such a system for us all?
2: Well, you know, what we got through the ACA, which I think is something people don't quite get their heads around, you know, we can call it ACA, we can call it Obamacare, it's the same thing. It's actually private health insurance. It's from private health insurance companies that have been selling insurance in Utah, for years and years. You drive up and down the highways here, you see billboards for insurance companies. Those are the same companies that are selling insurance on healthcare.gov. So it's not a government healthcare system. Really, the only government healthcare system we have that would be considered socialized is Medicare. That's the health insurance for people over age 65. That's a single-payer system. So that's really the only system we've got that that is socialized here in the United States. Mm -hmm. The ACA doesn't come close to that. It's private health insurance sold through a website called healthcare.gov with subsidies provided for some people to make their premiums more affordable. States were given discretion about what kind of benefits to provide, um, with some ceilings and floors to make sure they were quality benefits. But it's really it's it's just an extension of the private healthcare system to make it more affordable to people. Now whether do I support a, a socialized healthcare system, you know, I've lived in a couple of countries that have had them uh and I've seen how they work and I've seen how they failed. Uh, So I think, you know, there's probably some middle ground out there. A lot of people like what's going on in Switzerland or Singapore. Those are more hybrid systems. I think that might actually be more in America's future as opposed to a a French-style or Mm Canadian-style system.
0: Catherine Howe, I want to bring you back into the discussion uh, specifically with one of the goals of health care reform. It ended up being, uh, in its form of uh, the Affordable Care Act, But uh, whenever we talk about reforming the system, one of the goals, and we've talked about this already, is expanding coverage to those who aren't covered. Another goal is reducing costs. Uh, Are we seeing progress? Do you think we will see progress under the Affordable Care Act in reducing costs?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we are making uh, great progress with that. I think you know it used to be that premiums and, and healthcare costs went unchecked, um, and increases from 15 to 20 percent in annual premiums were common. You know, this year we look across the country and we're seeing increases of premiums of, on average, of only about 3.9 percent. Um, so we're we're certainly seeing the the curve start to slow. Um, and in addition, we're seeing uh, People benefit tremendously from this program. Um, So we're seeing, you know, drops in uninsurance rates, and that means that more people are able to get the preventive care that we know saves money and sets us uh, on a path for for even more health care savings in the future.
4: Hmm.
0: Representative Stevenson, uh, uh, or um, Representative Dunnigan, sorry. Um, uh, I wondered if you answered the same question. Uh, One of the goals of any health care reform uh, is reducing costs. Do you, do you see the Affordable Care Act or, or other efforts in Utah reducing costs?
3: The Affordable Care Act is increasing costs. It's not reducing costs, and I'll just give you a couple of examples. We have The Affordable Care Act implements a premium tax, so it's a tax on our health insurance premiums that we generally have not had, at least in, in Utah. It's about 2.5%. So you take whatever your health insurance rate is, now you add 2.5% to it, and that's a federal premium tax that goes to the federal government. There are, there are a number of other taxes and fees. And the individual rates in the federal exchange and outside the exchange are being artificially compressed or lowered by some of the Obamacare taxes. Well, those, in other words, they're, they're assessing taxes, taxes on health insurance and using some of those taxes to reimburse insurance companies so that they can keep individual rates lower than they otherwise would be. That, that help, that system from those taxes, is going to go away two years from now, and individual rates will rise. In Utah, the Obamacare is taking $100 million out of our state this year just for that one tax, the reinsurance tax alone, that's then used to kind of artificially lower the individual rates. When that's gone, two years from now, individual rates will go back to the, the market rate, and you'll see them rise. There are so, there are so many um, taxes and fees, including the tax on medical devices, that are putting pressure on health care costs and health insurance costs. So the rates are going up. They're, they uh, you know President Obama said that by now. Our healthcare costs would decrease by twenty five hundred dollars on average, and that hasn't happened. They're going up. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I've seen uh, Senator Hatch talk about that uh, medical device tax. Uh, he, he's he'll be in a more powerful position now in the new uh, in the new Senate. Uh, would I guess you would support him in in trying to uh, repeal that or lower that?
3: Yes, that makes no sense at all. I mean, even if you like the tenets of the. Uh, uh, Obamacare, of trying to help people get covered and have better access and make it more affordable, how does placing a 2.3% tax on medical devices get you to that goal? It doesn't. It goes in the opposite direction. And that's probably one of the first things that actually may get bipartisan support now that the Republicans will control the Senate come the first of the year and see if they can get that device tax repealed. And that takes just a little bit of the upward pressure on health care costs out of the mix.
0: Jason Stevenson, uh, I know you were, you, your organization works a lot with helping people get the enrolled in that and such, but also on the policy side, whatever you think about, uh, what would your advice be to uh, Senator Hatch if you're sitting there? At, um, the what would you ask him to do?
2: Utah hard. We have a lot of medical device makers here, so I think he sees that actually as a constituent issue. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are probably telling him they don't like this, uh, but there's a little bit... Beyond the numbers that Representative Dunning and had just talked about, uh, you know, one thing we like to look at is the personal experience of real Utah consumers. And uh, we get a lot of people coming in who are saying, you know, I was paying $600 for my insurance, and now I'm paying $300. Uh, we look at the rates in Cache County. You know, in, in 2014, the rates for a 21-year-old buying insurance were about $154 a month unsubsidized. This year, they're $157 a month. So it went up $3, which is about 1.9%. The idea of insurance rates going up 1.9 percent a year is just unheard of. Uh, a couple of years ago, they were going up five, ten, fifteen percent. So, you know, the, when we look at what's actually happening for real Utahns, the numbers are actually pretty uh, looking pretty good. We're, we're bending the cost curve. It's going to take a little while, um, but we are making some progress. And with the medical device tax, you know, there's a couple stories that have come out of where we have a medical device and maybe an artificial knee coming off of uh, an assembly line in Indiana. And it gets shipped to Belgium. And in Belgium, that medical device costs $3,000. That's what the hospital there pays for it before they put it in someone's knee. In Colorado, that medical device, off the same loading dock, same company, costs $18,000. That's what the hospital pays and what they bill the patient. So I don't think it costs less to send that device to Belgium than it does to send it to Colorado. So there's someone making a lot of money off medical devices, and I think that's where a lot of the inefficiency a lot of the waste in our medical system comes from. It's from this sort of invisible money, this monopoly money. And what the Affordable Care Act is trying to do is sort of shed some light on that. Whether it's releasing hospital charges, which Medicare did just about a year ago, showing that an MRI at one hospital costs $500 and across the street it costs $5,000. You know, that kind of information can be very important for patients who now have a bigger stake in their health care bills. Um, to just showing that medical devices is a real waste intensive part of our healthcare system that needs some reform.
0: We're going to take another break. When we come back, more with Representative Jim Dunnigan, who is House Chair of the Utah Legislature's Health Reform Task Force, Jason Stevenson, Utah Health Policy Project's Education and Communications Director, and Catherine Howitt, Senior Policy Analyst with Community Catalyst. Utah Health Policy Project's Annual Policy Conference is coming up on December 2nd in West Valley City. Its title, Is It Working? Taking the Pulse on Health Reform in Utah. We're talking about these issues on the program today. We encourage uh, your experience, your questions, your comment love to know how things are going with you or perhaps you have a general question the number is 1-800-826-1495 you can join us by email to upraccess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. When we come back, I'll uh, I'll direct this first to Catherine Howitt. We'll, I'll ask some rapid-fire, just some general questions. People may be curious or confused with this open enrollment period. How do you do it? Uh, and then some other questions. And I want to talk about small business as well. we we'll get into talking about that and other issues in our final segment following this break.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crum Brothers Artisan Bread, located at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, featuring a holiday cookie box sampler for dinner parties, business meetings, and gifting. Information at crumbbrothers.com.
0: We've had some time now to see how the Affordable Care Act is working. And today on the program, you're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about your experience. I hope to get that in the next 10 minutes or so at 1-800-826-1495. Email is upraccess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Utah Health Policy Project is having their annual policy conference. That's coming up on December 2nd, titled Is It Working? Taking the Pulse on Health Reform in Utah. And we're talking with Jason Stevenson with Utah Health Policy Project, Catherine Howitt is with Community Catalyst, and Representative Jim Dunnigan, who's House Chair of Utah Legislature's Health Reform Task Force, is with us as well. I'd like to begin this uh, final segment of the program with uh, just some basic questions. I'll direct these first to Catherine Howitt. Uh, So we're we're in the enrollment period, right? Uh, How long does that last?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, The current enrollment period uh, lasts uh, until February 15th.
0: And um, uh, where do you go? Folks
1: do have to sign up by December 15th um, to renew their plans, folks who are currently on the marketplace.
0: Uh, So uh, where do you go? Where do I go if I want to get insurance or renew my insurance? (laughs)
1: Sure, yeah, you go to healthcare.gov, um, and I think it's really important to note that consumers do, even those who, who currently have plans, do need to log back in um, to check what their options are and to see if they could save even more money, uh, make sure that they're still in the right plan for them, and, and to shop around. Um, so healthcare.gov is really the place to go, and I know um, Jason is probably interested to talk about, uh, his organization has a helpline for consumers that, um, that they can call so that they can get. Utah specific resources.
0: Yeah, uh, Jason, what's uh, give us the information.
2: Well, you know, we've developed a system here in Utah that's specifically designed to help Utahans explore their options and find out what works best for them. We call it Take Care Utah, and it's a network of enrollment assistors including brokers, people called navigators, which are trained experts, uh, certified application counselors. They're located at nonprofits, at brokerage firms, at libraries, at hospitals and clinics across the state from Logan to St. George. We have over 140 people in this network. And you can find the nearest one to you by going to the website TakeCareUtah.org TakeCareUtah.org or by calling 211. That's a uh, United Way of Salt Lake phone number that will connect you to those folks as well. Uh, you type in your zip code and you get a list of where these people are and how to contact them, set up a one-on-one appointment, get your questions answered, get your information, and get signed up.
0: And you, you, These people call them navigators. Right. Can, That's right. Can, can it's, help. A, it's
2: a new group of folks who have gone through training. They get the same background check you need for, for a concealed carry permit here in Utah, which a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, and they've already got a year under their belts of working on healthcare.gov. So they know how to get through the glitches. They know how to get through the barriers. You know, what we find out is that people try it at home. They get frustrated. Um, and then, fortunately, they call us. And when they call us, we're able to sit down, and usually we're able to get them signed up in an hour, an hour and a half. Some cases take a little bit longer, but you know what? We don't give up. Uh, we sit down. Sometimes it takes a week or two, uh, but we still get you through, and we'll you know give you the options you need and, and help you get signed up.
0: So, d- did you say they have the same training as concealed carry?
2: Uh, the same background check. Oh, same. Uh, oh, that, same
0: background check. Okay. You
2: need the All right. Check. But I'll have to say, uh, <laughs> when healthcare.gov wasn't working, we were thinking about shooting our
0: computers. <laughs> yeah, maybe need a permit for that. Uh, so, um, uh, Catherine, uh, there's a penalty. Understand uh, if, if you don't have insurance. Uh, th- there's a penalty. What's the penalty?
1: Uh, so the the penalty uh, it varies uh, based on your income, um, but it. it it can be uh, up to three percent of your income, um, but there's a cap for those uh, at lower income levels.
0: Hmm. Uh, and so I'm sure I'm guessing some people just make the calculation if the, if the you know if that if that penalty that seems affordable to them they just take the penalty.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and there's actually exceptions for, for many people uh, who can't uh, find affordable coverage to them. Um, and there's actually exceptions for folks who fall into the coverage gap in states that have yet to accept the federal dollars to provide coverage to those low-income people. Uh, so there, there are exemptions for, for folks who, who, who really can't find affordable coverage under the current system.
0: I think... Uh, you know, Tom, we encourage
2: people to yes. come into a, a navigator or a broker and mm-hmm. just sort of see what insurance costs versus what the penalty might be. Okay. Um, you know, also recognizing the fact that paying the penalty doesn't give you insurance. You're still on the hook for all medical bills and fees that you might get. And You know, nowadays you spend half a day in the hospital, that can be $10,000. So, um, We just want everybody to make a, a decision with all the information.
0: Uh, here's a couple of comments from Patrick. Uh, this is on Twitter. First of all, he says, As someone who was laid off this year and lost coverage, I'm hoping to be working and get coverage via an employer uh, in early 2015. That's the hope, I think, of a lot of people. He goes on to ask, Must I sign up for policy through healthcare.gov? I, I can take that uh,
2: okay. question. So the the individual was laid off, is currently uninsured and unemployed, hoping to get a job, though, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, uh, what you want to do is, is when you think about getting insurance for 2015, is you have to project what you think your income is going to be. So if you have some income coming in from rentals or annuities or things like that or other work that you're doing that puts you above uh, 100% of the poverty level, um, then you could qualify for subsidies and get the insurance on healthcare.gov. Uh, but if you don't have any sort of firm commitments there, then it would be a little bit trickier. Uh, so we encourage folks to contact TakeCareUtah.org or a broker, You know, sit down, kind of run through the numbers, see where they are. Um, You know, as soon as they get a job, sometimes there's a three-month waiting period for job-based insurance to start. You can actually sign up for ACA insurance during that period to stay insured until your job-based insurance begins. Uh, Because, you know, the ACA insurance is there to help you. Uh, when the employer-based insurance isn't an option or isn't yet available. So there's a lot of options that person could pursue. We encourage them to contact a broker or a navigator and, and get some good answers.
0: And Patrick had a question about uh, ACA penalties and I think Catherine uh, answered that question. Let me turn back to Representative. Oh, Tom, uh, yes.
1: I wanted to correct what I had said. I, I think okay. I gave an incorrect answer there. Uh, so if you don't buy coverage in 2015 and you don't qualify for one of the exemptions, you could face a penalty of up to 2% of your yearly household income um, if you didn't have coverage in 2014, the penalty is 1%, um, up to 1% of your yearly household income.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you. Representative Dunnigan, we just have uh, about three or four minutes left, and uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, maybe conclude the program with uh, ongoing concerns. I know you, you expressed concern about small businesses. And I know you hear from small business owners that uh, regulation really takes them a lot of time and, and, and depresses what they can do. Uh, maybe talk about this with regard to uh, health insurance.
3: There's there's a whole slew of regulations reporting that uh, has started and is going to get more robust in the next year or two. And it's really challenging for, for small businesses. Plus, they, they're having these premium taxes placed on their policies, and most of the benefits of those premium taxes are going to help the individual policyholders, so they're kind of paying into the system and and not getting as much back. Uh, You know, I've talked to a number of people nationally, and there really was very little reason for the Affordable Care Act to get in and mess up the small employer marketplace. They should have stayed focused just on the individual marketplace. But for for small employers, uh, many of them have held on to their pre-Obamacare plans, because those rates are less expensive than if they go to the Obamacare plans, and that's an option available to them. Utah also has a small business exchange or marketplace called Avenue H. There are three health insurance carriers in there where they can get coverage. L- let me just say, people can contact an insurance agent, whether you're looking for individual coverage or you small business, and you can purchase coverage on the exchange or the marketplace whether it's run by the state or the federal government, or you can still purchase coverage at the same price off the exchange. Uh, and so those, you have quite a, a few options available.
0: Uh, so you can just go to your individual agent. They can, they can help you out.
3: Yes. Many agents are certified to sell on the federal exchange, and they will sell either individual coverage to individuals, or they'll sell businesses, business coverage.
0: So uh, we just have a minute left to represent Dunnegan. The next, uh, you have an upcoming meeting of the of the task force. Uh, what's going to be happening there?
3: So the governor will roll out his Healthy Utah plan in some detail and present it. And then following that, we will present some legislative options and for consideration of the task force. So I, I expect it to be a a lively meeting a week from Thursday,
0: and then of course the legislative session begins in January. We will be uh, looking at these issues as well. Uh, thank you very much, Representative Dunnigan. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you, uh,
0: Jason Stevenson. Uh, Give us the contact information again. People want to uh, are curious about uh, you know healthcare. Want to want to sign up?
3: Yeah,
2: we really recommend people just check it out. It's like shopping for TVs. You know, you want to do a lot of comparison shopping before you put out that, that kind of money. Go to TakeCareUtah.org. TakecareUtah.org or call 211 anywhere in the state to connect to trained navigators, brokers, and application counselors who can answer your questions and walk you through the process.
0: All right. Thank you for being on with us. Again, that uh, the policy conference from UHPP is coming up in West Valley City on December uh, 2nd. And uh, Catherine Howitt, Senior Policy Analyst with Community Catalyst. By the way, Community Catalyst at communitycatalyst.org, right? The, the website. Yep, that's, that's right. Okay, thank you very much to everyone. Uh, join us tomorrow. Uh, we'll be previewing uh, something promoted by StoryCorps. That's the National Day of Listening. That's their Black Friday. They encourage people to sit down with family members and record their stories. We'll be talking with Randy Williams from uh, Utah uh, from uh, Utah State Libraries, also uh, Bonnie Glass-Coffin and some other guests, and encourage you to record stories on the day after Thanksgiving. That's our program for tomorrow. Thanks for listening today.
2: Deseret News columnist,
4: Steve Eaton. It's that time of year again when newspapers start running those stupid stories. I hope you hear this before they do. It might save Thanksgiving for someone. For some reason, every year each newspaper will run two or three stories from nutritionists or other skinny people, giving us helpful advice on how to get through the holidays without enjoying them. At this time of year, the stories focus on how to come up with healthy substitutes for a nice Thanksgiving dinner. They will suggest that you come to your Thanksgiving dinner with a handful of nuts and twigs in your pocket. If it's really a special occasion, they'll say there's no reason you can't cook up a veggie burger, put it in a baggie, and bring it with you. You can also have fake cauliflower mashed potatoes, and substitute stuffing from your pillow as an alternative to the real kind that comes out of the turkey— Who invites these people to dinner anyway? Why can't we leave them at home to drink lukewarm water and feast on alfalfa sprouts while they watch The Nature Channel? You know, don't you, that if you turn on a football game on TV after dinner, they'll start talking about how the football team should be replaced by the chess club and how much better it would be if we all went to stadiums on Saturdays to watch professors do research. It's true that there are high-calorie foods that are traditionally part of Thanksgiving dinner. But that's what the dinner is for. If you make it a tofu dinner, by definition, you've created maybe a tofu surprise dinner. But that's not a Thanksgiving dinner. I know, however, that some of you are just crying out for dieting tips for the holidays. So here are four healthy eating tips for Thanksgiving I'm willing to share. 1. Just the way extra cheese on pizza can crush calories, gravy can be used to wash off calories. The effective use of gravy during Thanksgiving dinner is a smart way to keep your calorie count low. Two, if you feel guilty about eating fattening food, just remember to exhale quickly out of the corner of your mouth like Popeye would. It looks sort of funny, but common sense tells you that if you blow the calories off your food before you swallow, you'll get all the flavor and joy of the calories without the side effects of extra weight. Three, Healthy people are right about the importance of fruit in your diet. Start off your Thanksgiving Day with a frosted raspberry filled Pop Tart or fill a bowl with Fruit Loops without adding any sugar to them. Be healthy, and eat Fruit Loops the way Nature intended them to be eaten. four. Sometimes healthy people will trick you into coming over to Thanksgiving dinner acting as if they intend to celebrate the holiday with you. The first sign that you've been duped usually is when they start with salad and then start complaining that they're full before they're done eating the salad. If this happens, just play along with it. Look for a reason to excuse yourself so you can go home and eat dinner. Usually saying something about needing to get home to watch C-SPAN will work. Don't use the excuse that you're so full that you want to go for a walk to work off the calories. They'll just want to come with you. Stick with C-SPAN. Even healthy people don't watch C-SPAN but they'll be impressed that you do. It's a lot like drinking warm water. I hope these tips help. After Thanksgiving dinner, it will be time to diet again. If you're like me, you know you have to do it. Thanksgiving dinner is the exception to the rule. The rest of the time, you must be disciplined and learn to suffer. Remember, there can be no exceptions. Unless, of course, there's a good football game on or a professor nearby who is doing some research. This is Steve Eaton. Conductor William Eddins, Bill Eddins, joins me on the next PT. Bill, what do you have for us? Fred, I'm going to reveal to you the sexiest piece of classical music ever written. Conductor Bill Eddins joins us to talk about his favorite music and musicians on the next performance today from APM. Tuesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Access
0: Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio.
1: Thank you for listening to Utah Public Radio. You can find our conversation from today online at 11 o'clock, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. The time is now 10 o'clock.